Welcome to the KeysCast, the official podcast of Keesler Air Force Base. Each month or so, we'll bring you interesting interviews with people around Keesler about topics that are relevant to you. Welcome to episode three of the KeysCast. On this month's episode, we interview three members of the medical group who received the Bronze Star for their achievements while deployed to Al-Assad Air Base. The Bronze Star, established on February 4, 1944, is a decoration awarded for heroic achievement or service, meritorious achievement or service, in a combat zone. I'm Major Ramon A. Riojas. I'm a general surgeon, and I was the trauma surgeon on the team. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Scott Eisenhuth, and I was our orthopedic surgeon and uh, uh, senior medical officer. My name is uh, Lieutenant Colonel Jack Villardi. Excuse me. I was uh, medical operations and the team lead. Great, great. So why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about the genesis of this uh, deployment first off, sort of how it came down, and uh, what was the primary mission that you were sent to uh, support? Uh, so it's the mobile field surgical team, and it was kind of plucked out of the Defense Seaburn Response Force uh, originally. Mm-hmm. So they plucked a 10-person team out of DSERF and created this uh, MFST. Okay, a lot of, lot of acronyms there. You got to spell that uh, for our non <laughs> uh, knowledgeable folk. So the uh, mobile field surgical team is basically a small um, unit small medical unit just to do damage control surgery and uh, trauma care uh, in an expeditionary role. Uh, It's it's designed to be a mobile unit to move uh, from place to place wherever the action is and we need to do quick um, uh, trauma stabilization surgery and and medical care. Okay, so it's a 10-person medical team from Keesler. Yes. That went over to where? Uh, we're primarily in Iraq, uh, in, at Al-Assad Air Base in Iraq, and then uh, then we got moved to Tower 22 in Jordan for about a month at the okay. end. And what were your primary mission while you were there? Medical support for whatever happened. Um, so we were support for, you know, at Al-Assad, we were support for the Marines primarily. Um, you know, any combat casualties they got, uh, and it ended up mostly treating host national forces uh, since they were the ones primarily engaged in combat. So they would come there, and then was it like a field hospital, like a bunch of tents, or was it like a hardened facility that you were supporting? As I say, we call it like a building of opportunity. So the team before us had established one of the buildings on base. It had been damaged and pockmarked with, uh, you know, previous artillery, but it was good enough for us to use. It was a stable, had four walls and most of its roof still intact so that you know, we could set up uh, an ER place where we could triage patients real quick, an OR where we had two OR beds and then some other places where we could do some quick labs, x-rays and store our sterile facility. And how long were you over there? About six and a half months. So. Have you all been deployed before or was this your first time deployed? This was my second deployment. Yeah, it was, was my third. It was my first. Okay. How the has this how this deployment compared to other deployments? So for me, uh, um, I was at Bagram, Afghanistan previously, which is a very well established uh, base with a fairly large hospital, and uh, it's a 
tertiary medical center within the country. So um, the patients that we received at Bagram were very different than what we got here at in Iraq and uh, in Jordan. So, you know, in Afghanistan, and we were getting ones that had already been uh, initially stabilized by a, like a, a smaller medical unit uh, out closer to the forward operating base. Um, so most of the patients we received were more stabilized. Um, so on this deployment, we were really doing all of that initial damage control and stabilization and resuscitation of the patient. So, you know, a lot of a lot of these patients were closer to death than um, than my previous deployment. In your previous deployment, sir? Oh, I thought this was amazing. Uh, this, uh to, to do this mission with these folks was, was just an amazing opportunity. We were there. You could, you could see them uh, making a difference, uh, being part of that, uh, eradicating ISIS from, from that area in um, northwestern Iraq. Uh, so, yeah, very rewarding. How did this compare to your previous deployments? It's my favorite so far. I mean, it was, I, I, think it was, uh, I think it was great. I really do. Okay, great. So let's talk a little bit about the Bronze Star. Uh, so you were all awarded the Bronze Star for your actions overseas uh, during this deployment. Uh, can you talk to me a little bit about why you received the Bronze Star? If it's if it's different or similar, uh, kind of what what is it? You know, what were the reasons why uh, you received the Bronze Star? Well, except with Sir Major Rojas. Rojas. Sure, I think it's tough to to think about. I think all of us wish our whole teams is really a team effort. Not any one of us did something real heroic that just stood out, but it was really how we performed throughout the entire deployment and how we organized things. And uh, like Colonel Eisenhuth was saying, typically our surgical team is just supposed to be attached to another medical command. But when we arrived, they basically said, you're in charge of the medical command for the entire base and the surrounding area. And I, I think that we could have stood around and just waited for traumas, but some of the feedback that we received from you know, our sister uh, services from the Navy and the Army guys, like, hey, you guys are really stepping up and doing a lot. And that's what we tried to do was really take over, make sure that we were providing good health care for not just the people that were injured, but maintaining and preventing, you know, any sicknesses, illnesses, injuries for the entire base. And uh, we provided a lot of training for those that were under us. There's a lot of junior medics that kind of looked up to us and brought questions to us. So how do we do that? And uh, they started coming to us with more questions and getting involved with hands-on training. And I think that it's kind of what made the difference that our, the base command saw how much of an impact we were making, sure that everybody was prepared in case something happened on base or outside of base. Would that be the same? Yeah, we revised quite a bit of the medical procedures on base. You know, um, we sat down, you know, the three of us and kind of hashed out, you know, what if a major disaster happened on base? Like we got a huge rocket attack. There's like 50 casualties. What do we do? You know, how do you manage that? And, you know, I think um, we we put a lot of effort into revising a lot of the uh, and really establishing a lot of the protocols on how to handle a mass casualty incident, how to handle a, a chemical attack on base, like how do you do the decontamination procedures, you know, and really the command just kind of gave that all to us and said, here, you know, give us a plan. And, you know, so we put a lot of effort into putting all that together. But, uh, you know, and then, of course, 
all the day-to-day, you know, five trauma patients come in at once, you know, you still have to, you know, um, be able to handle all that too. Um, and uh, Major Riojas was instrumental in kind of getting base-wide education out on, you know, the finer points of the self-aid buddy care and tourniquet use and making sure like all the Marines knew how to save each other's life if they were bleeding out on the battlefield. So um, put a lot of effort into that and the base wide training as well. Yeah, I mean, they're exactly right. If they would have just showed up and just sat back and waited for their patients to come, they, they still would have had technically a successful deployment, but they did so much more than that, uh, reaching out. And as, as they just said, uh, designing training programs for not only us uh, medically, but for the entire base. So, so yeah. So what did you each do individually that you know, kind of distinguished you and uh, amongst, you know, the, the other doctors and, you know, the group here um, that was, uh, you know, listed on your citation? Uh, I'd say, you know, one of the bigger things, kind of like Colonel Eisenhower said, is I, I really put a lot of emphasis on making sure that our non-medics on base were well-trained. We know that one of the most preventable causes of death in combat is is hemorrhagic uh, shock, and so if we could really get that, you know, trained and retrained, we know that people receive training before they go on deployment, but after a few months, you know, we know from research that they forget it. So we hammered that through, and I think that was one of the biggest things. I just wanted to make sure that not only us, but that everybody else knew how to react in certain situations and it wasn't just a chaotic everybody running for themselves and they knew who to communicate with how to communicate with us and so I was you know I felt like where I I devoted a lot of my time was just making sure that people had that training so that we were prepared for you know any kind of uh, trauma that we might have been faced with and a contingency kind of plan as well in case that first one didn't work and we always had our, our little after action review anytime something came in and said okay how are we going to get better or maybe we thought this would work and let's revise it next time we're going to do it this way and I felt like that was one of my biggest contributions. Yeah so Major Ellis was mostly in charge of the training. I kind of uh, more of the personnel side of it you know we had um, multiple nations involved in the medical care there. We had uh, Czechs, Norwegians, Danish, Army, Air Force, Navy, Marines, all involved. Uh, so um, one of my main responsibilities was organizing individual trauma teams for different numbers of casualties that came in. Like, okay, who's going to be in Bay 1? You know, who's going to take airway? Who's going to take IV? Who's going to do this and that um, on a rotating basis, but also for a specific number of casualties like it's going to be this plan with this number of casualties and so you know we had a lot of personnel changes the checks left and um, the norwegians came in and they were constantly rotating their personnel like every few weeks so it was it was kind of chaotic to make sure that we had you know the right capabilities in every bay uh, so that was one of my major um responsibilities is making sure that the day-to-day operations of the medical unit were ready to go. I think if you ask the team, the best thing I did was get us out of there at the end. We were in this remote (laughs) fob and people were getting delayed for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I was on the phone screaming at people pretty regularly and uh, were able to get us out of there, moved um, pretty much on our way home in less than a week. So uh, that's probably my greatest accomplishment if you ask them. Um, (laughs) Well... 
So. <clears throat> I think you had plenty of more um, input into that. Yeah, yeah. Colonel Velarde's not saying everything. You know, we, we're medical people, and there's a lot of military jargon and procedures that we don't know and that we would have been stuck out in the middle of a desert if it wasn't for him. And he kind of made sure that, you know, we got to where we needed to be. We had the equipment that we needed. And that from an operation side, you know, if there was some new medevac crew, I had no idea what jargon they were talking about, but he could communicate with them and make sure that, you know, what we were doing, that they could bring patients to us and we would coordinate our efforts that way. So it was, it was extremely helpful to have somebody with his background, his expertise, and you know, running the show from that regards. Yeah, and patient movement. And, you know, there were, there's one of your big accomplishments was getting that random ISR airplane to, <laughs> you know, pull the equipment off of it and send a patient um, with a severe head injury out uh, urgently because there's no medevac available. So, you know, Colonel Velarde just like came up with this airplane and we just stuck a patient on it and sent him. But you guys did how many interventions in 45 minutes? Like, goodness gracious, to get that guy out of there. That was awesome. And just so our audience knows, ISR stands for Intelligence, Surveillance, and Reconnaissance. Yes. Correct. Right. Um, Not a medical plane. No, not a medical (laughs) plane. Uh, So talk to me a little bit about working with foreign militaries and also just foreign Folks in general, you said you worked with a bunch of different people from Europe. I'm sure you worked with uh, Iraqis and other uh, maybe third party, third country nationals. Kind of talk to me a little bit about that experience, sort of what you gained from it. Uh, I'll tell you, they, they were amazing. Uh, first of all, great, great folks, great sense of humor. Um, but uh, we had some real uh, recognized experts out there. We had uh, our anesthesiologist uh, literally wrote the book. If you go look at the, you know, how to do it guide, he was one of the guys who, who explained how to do it. So um, we had we had the best that their country had to offer, and, and it was obvious. Um, we learned a lot from them. Uh, it was interesting. I, I think uh, overcoming the language barriers and and just different different styles. Um, mm-hmm. But I think you guys both uh, handled that brilliantly um, with both teams, and. Uh, yeah, so we worked permanently with the Norwegians and the Czechs, but then when we had multiple casualties, we were literally reaching out to any medic that was there. So we had Danish, UK, Australia, um, anybody who could get in somehow. And there was no language other. barrier issues, were they? With the Czechs, there were some. Yeah. But they had, mm-hmm. they had English classes that they did on a weekly basis. Um, but... Uh, for the most part, most of them spoke very good English, and it wasn't much of an issue. Um, but all very highly capable and very professional um, um, staff that they brought. So it was it was pretty good. It was really cool to work with, you know, people from different medical backgrounds, but uh, you know, also different cultural backgrounds. I think um, it wasn't just people from other countries, but people don't realize how different our sister services are. And after a few months, I had some of the Navy corpsmen and Army medics. They said, you know, we were, we were a little worried when they said an Air Force team was coming out here. And, and I'll be honest, you know, we're working in a hospital. We don't go out in the field every week like some of these guys that prepare for training like that. Um, but I think they were surprised on in our camaraderie and our willing to step up and just take care of the job. And so by the end, you know, we're all kind of brother in arms and it, it made a big difference. And they say, well, you definitely made me think differently about the Air Force, the way that you all performed. And so, that, you know, that brought a lot of pride to us, I think. What's the biggest thing you'll take away from your deployment experience and how will you apply the experience you gained uh, to your work here at the 81st? 
I think it, it made me realize how important everybody's job is here. You know, we were a small team and most of us had to do multiple jobs that things we maybe took for granted. And so, uh, you know, it makes me want to step out and thank those guys that do those things around the hospital every day without, you know, being recognized for it. And so it, it really is a very important thing. Uh, as far as, you know, what I take home, it just made me realize how important all the training that we receive is. Is We probably used you know, everything from medical school and on, uh, having to take care of patients, how to react to different scenarios. We had such a variety of trauma patients. It wasn't just your standard trauma that you might see here. And so I think that was one thing I just have, have to tell myself and tell the other you know, juniors that we work with, hey, always be prepared when you go because uh, you don't know what you'll be faced with. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, it's. Uh, I feel much more comfortable with you know significant trauma now um, than I was. You know, I mean, uh, before you get a complex medical question, you have a consultant that you you know right down the hall that you can go ask. You know, out there you're kind of a lot on your own. You know, you, you do have some lifelines up to some of the tertiary care facilities if you need to in a pinch, but uh, for the most part, you got to figure this stuff out on your own, you know, when you have your patient right in front of you, you don't have time to call on the phone up to Baghdad or something. So, you know, I think it forced us all to be much better at caring for a severely injured trauma patient, you know, because we really don't do a whole lot of trauma here at Keesler. Um, so, you know, I feel much more comfortable now handling a, a massive traumatic incident that if, if it did occur on base, you know, you know, train derailed or something like that, I think we would be, you know, better able to take care of that type of incident. For me, it, it gave me a greater appreciation for what each of these uh, folks do. I wasn't as familiar with with uh, with how how difficult their jobs are, so I got to see that. Um, also, it, it gave me a better appreciation for what people are doing, what we do here day to day. Um, you know, it's so important that when you're when you're doing that mission, that you have your head in the game, and um, so to know that the folks here, it gets kind of mundane, but are taking care of the patients that are here, the family members, you know, whether it's finance or in the hospital or whatever. So the folks that are deployed don't have to worry about that because as soon as they have a home issue, all of a sudden we're down one person because they're worrying about that. They're trying to work that from 3,000 miles away. So it kind of reminded me that, you know, we're on it. I get it. We're on a training wing, but it's, it's important what we're doing here. So. Were there any uh, interesting stories that came out of your deployment that you would like to share? I think there was probably probably a lot of different stories. You know, uh, you know, some. I think one of the the neatest things is even hearing from the our NATO allies. Some of them were saying, you know, this is the best deployment. I was like, well, why? And they said, well, previously, whenever they worked with U.S. forces, you know, the U.S. would set up their medical tent and they would set up their own separate tent, and we kind of changed that up and said, no, we want to be uh, intermixed in our teams because we figured that that would be the best way to to get the strengths from both teams and to build up some camaraderie we started playing you know games every Saturday and we work out with them and and they felt like they're more a part of us instead of being two separate units deployed you know side by side and so I, I think you know we're still friends with those guys on Facebook and social media and it's just it was a really neat experience as far as um, Things that you know we'd rather not remember. You always think of um, seeing some of the uh, 
the children that maybe lost their parents and now you're taking care of them and they have no idea these strangers talking another language and you're doing everything you can to save their lives or or maybe you have one of the parents watching you trying to intervene and save that kid's life and so that's that's a very tough thing you know usually we separate the family uh, away but sometimes we didn't have that opportunity so uh, you know those are things that that sometimes can be tough but you know you feel like you helped them out as much as you could and i think they respect that you know the, the iraqi people were so happy to have us there being the only surgical capability for a huge area of Western Iraq. What does the Bronze Star mean to you? So uh, what the Bronze Star means to me, I guess, is um, it's a reflection of both our personal efforts into this, but also what we are able to accomplish as a, as a team, a very highly capable and highly functional team with minimal resources. Um, I think we're able to accomplish an amazing amount and um, you know that I think the award is reflective of you know the the efforts put forward by our team I was really happy for the opportunity to uh, to share with others what we're doing it kind of allowed us a lot of people were like oh my gosh I didn't know we had teams that were doing those sorts of things uh, so it, it did give us the opportunity to uh, to tell our story um, and uh, and and share with the rest of the wing what uh, the types of things that are going on over there. I'll be honest. I, at first, I didn't think it was a big deal. I was like, well, it costs 10 bucks at the BX. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, when, you know, my squadron commander is like, do you realize how big of a deal this is? And, uh, you know, it made me step back and think and reflect. Uh, you know, this is a pretty special thing that maybe a lot of people never get in their career. Maybe they never experienced that. And, so uh, maybe people will look at me and say, oh, I can do that. You know, I'm better than that guy. And hopefully there will be. You know, I think there's a lot of wonderful people working. I know they can do better. So hopefully it will be a way to encourage others to do their best and hopefully continue to succeed in the Air Force and the military. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, I think we've said you know, in the beginning, too, it is really such a, a team effort. Um, unfortunately, you know, the military doesn't give team awards. Uh, that would be nice. And so when when we receive these awards, I think it's really just a reflection of of how we were able to come together, ex, you know, accept our mission and complete the mission. And I felt like we were very successful in doing that. And, uh, and so hopefully, you know, everybody sees that, hey, by you doing your training, just go out and do your best. You know, hopefully you'll, you make a huge contribution, you know, not only to your country, but to the Air Force and to the mission. Yeah, I think... Uh deployment in general and especially this deployment was probably you know the most rewarding part of my military career you know we um, haven't been there with such an awesome team and feeling like we actually made a difference over there um, is you know that's always a nice feeling to have as that sense of accomplishment that you don't always get you know in the day-to-day -day operations here at Keesler. Well, thank you all for taking time to be here today to talk about your experience and also just, you know, again, again it's kind of rare that we get three Bronze Stars uh, from one unit here at the 81st Train Wing. So, so happy to, you know, again, that you, you've received this honor and uh, thank you again for what you've did, done out there. Uh, it was a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.